Welcome to JRCigars.com, the world's largest cigar store. We boast the internet's widest selection of premium hand-rolled cigars at the guaranteed lowest prices. Our reinvigorated website is fast, user-friendly, and offers our customers an array of unique features. No access to a computer? No problem. Download our ShopJR app in the Google Play Store or our Steals and Deals in the App Store, and you'll have access to our extensive selection at the tip of your fingers. With the fastest low-cost shipping in the industry, JR Cigars guarantees same-day shipping if you order before 3. This is JRCigars.com. All of the cigars, none of the hassle. Get ready for Smoke Night Live with Massa Sensei. It's a special episode, Jordan. A special what? episode of Smoke Night Live. This is a Thursday, Thursday. night edition. This is episode 191. So normally, as you guys know, we uh, we only do Smoke Night Live on Fridays, but occasionally we have a special guest come through town, and then we do a Thursday. And get this. This week, we're going to be doing Thursday and Friday. Tomorrow night is Whiskey Night on the Dojo. So guys... If you've got bourbon or whiskey or whatever that you want to share on the dojo, just make sure to post it on the dojo app with hashtag whiskey a dojo. So apparently that's like super clever. I didn't even That is super clever. I came up with that hashtag myself. Whiskey a dojo. I he, Very good. Randy doesn't uh, get it. Now Randy, you probably know Whiskey oh, yeah. a Gogo, the most famous the most famous venue in all of Los Angeles of all time, like bands like Van Halen. The Ramones, they all played whiskey. He doesn't even know who those bands are. Uh, Jeez, I, I didn't want to say anything. They all played whiskey a go go, but tomorrow night it's whiskey a dojo, and we're gonna have a smoke night live episode tomorrow night with uh, Christopher Hart, who is uh, the uh, he's got a great podcast. It's called Whiskey Neat, and they do just e- all things whiskey. Nice. Yeah, and the, so so we're gonna be talking we're gonna be talking whiskey. We're gonna be talking specifically. As you know, Randy, bourbon. bourbon. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, <laughs> we're bourbon guys. So tomorrow night it's all whiskey, all bourbon. But tonight it's beer. We're talking beer because our special guest, Randy Griggs. You guys know him if you're a Dojo member. You know Randy because he's a uh, he's a legend on the Dojo. But tonight he's here, and Randy, you're you're a beer guy. You're a sort of a beer guru, and you're in town doing. Symposiums and, uh, <laughs> and, and 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 you know talking Stop. to sold out crowds, standing, standing room, room only. only, standing room only, standing That's room right. only. So there's there's a beer convention in town. Yes, the craft brewers conference is the our largest annual uh, craft brewers association. Uh, you know, there's a trade show, there's seminars. Uh, it's like IPCPR. It's like the IPCPR beer. of beer. That is exactly the right analogy, Jordan. Thank you. And it's right here in Denver, Colorado. That's this, right. Denver, Colorado. So a lot of people know that you have Denver, you have Oregon, you have California. 
I mean, we're, these are some of the beer sort of meccas. Some of the most mature craft beer markets. Most yeah. mature. I like the way you said that. The most mature craft beer markets. And so yeah. you're here doing that. Yeah. So talking I, to folks. So not to take anything away from Denver because it is a great town, a great beer town. Uh, the Craft Brewers Conference actually changes cities each year. And oh. so it only ends up in Denver about every five to eight years. Uh, okay. It's kind of kind of like the Super Bowl that way. Different cities will put together committees and and pitch why they should host the Craft Brewers Conference. Okay. And so uh, yeah, it worked out pretty good. You know, just got back from Camp Camacho, and uh, it just happened uh, the next week. I'm kind of in your guys' neck of the woods. So this this isn't a consumer thing. Correct. It's an industry yep. is type of thing. So Very if you much. if you went to this craft what do you call it? The Craft Brewers Conference. The Craft Brewers Conference. Yeah. You'd have to be like, what, like a, a retailer or a... Uh... No, it's, it's really just for the brewers. Uh, there's okay. technically two, two different functions going on. There's a uh, Craft Brewers Conference, and parallel to that, there's also a, a Craft Wholesaler Symposium. Wow. Uh, that's, that's exclusive just for the wholesalers that are heavily engaged in selling craft beer in their markets. And so... Um, I personally work for a craft distributor at this point in my career, and so I kind of bounce back and forth between the two and uh, have, have a long time doing that. This is, uh, I believe, my 13th uh, annual Craft Brewers Conference. So, so, Randy, you speak at these things. What, yes, sir. Tell, tell folks, like the folks that, obviously the folks know you if they're dojo members, but if you're in the craft beer industry, you you do a lot of different things. What's... You know, how did you get involved in this? What is your role in the craft beer industry? What do you, you know, what's your function within the craft beer industry? Uh, well, I've actually had a couple different uh, situations going on. I literally started at 21 years old, got a job in a, in a small brewery in Hayward, California. It's in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, started talking to a gentleman at the bar. Told him that's how, usually how eh. really important things go <laughs> that's down. That's right. My know. entire career was based on this one just chit chat I had yeah. with a, a guy at a bar. Yeah, and so uh, sitting there, I'm talking to the guy, and no joke, it's kind of embarrassing to say this on live uh, <laughs> uh, YouTube or, or uh, streaming here. He told me he was the brewer, and I literally asked him, "What do you do?" <laughs> okay. And uh, <laughs> I was uh, 21. I, I wasn't a beer drinker much at the time, and and he looked at me kind of funny, and he said, well, I make the beer here. And, and what changed my life, literally, is the next thing he said was, you can make beer too. And he sent me down to a homebrew shop that uh, I went and I got my first ingredient recipe at a homebrew shop. And I ended up working at that homebrew shop for the next seven years. Mm, wow. uh, that homebrew shop happened to be the third largest homebrew wholesaler in America. And so I ran their warehouse. I graduated to the uh, operations manager of that company overseeing all their four showrooms and uh, their website, which was the, is the, large, the world's largest homebrew supply wholesale okay. and, and retail website. So that got, that's crazy. Like you're just like a, a regular dude. You go into a bar, you're having a drink. Next thing you know, you're working at a homebrew store. Yep. And I assume at some point you had to make some decent beer out of your homebrew. I, I've, not to brag, but I, I've been a national uh, award winning homebrewer. Ooh, wow. Uh, yeah. And so uh, we, uh, me and my buddy Chad that came here with me tonight, we, we worked together as, uh, on, on a lot of different homebrews. We got another buddy, Ryan, that uh, we, we worked together on some different recipes. 
And, uh, you know, you go through the, Na the National Homebrewers co uh, Competition is multiple rounds regionally. So you have to get past the West Round and, and mm -hmm. prelims and everything. And I ended up with a, a silver medal um, on a national What was uh, the beer? What was the beer? It was an alt beer, actually. Oh. Yeah, it's a, a, a German uh, brown ale. So that was the beer that sort of like, you know, sent you on your path. That that helped. All that right. helped. Did you have yeah. a name for it? What was it? The no, no, no it was just our old just beer. a beer yeah. that you did. <laughs> Come on, it had a crazy it name. It was the Dojo Alt Beer. <laughs> <laughs> Weird because you guys didn't even exist at the time, and like I kind of just organically went to that. And, no, That's amazing. Our, that and, and so then. At some point, now how long ago we're talking? How how long? It was two thousand ten when we won that right, award. So nine nine years has mm -hmm. passed, mm -hmm. and then at some point you're now you're speaking on the topic, and it, I, Jordan, we bought a uh, homebrew like what was that thing that we got? It was like a, it's like a big plastic. I think of what it was called. It's like a, a big carboy maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but it was a carboy, but it had like at the bottom it has like the by the, the way valve. There's, there's you had a V vessel. There's something Jordan. like that. Wow. It's a big, you know, big deal, and you like has a valve and stuff. Very so, like, nice. But you know, the thing with beer is like anybody can like cigars are tough. Like some people can you can buy like kits to roll cigars right. and whatnot and that kind of thing. But you know, you're just you're sort of still just buying the leaves from somebody. You don't know what they're like. But like with beer, like you can make a name for yourself in your garage. Absolutely, no. It's it's very accessible. You know, some of the top uh, breweries in America today will tell you their story. They started out as a home brewer. Right. Mess, mess around in their mom's kitchen or in the garage type deal. And, um, and you know, some friends and family liked the beer, and they kind of got some excitement behind it, went out and got some money put together and started a brewery. Right. And Sierra Nevada, uh, one of the great American brewers, he, he owned a homebrew shop uh, there in Chico, California. And, uh, and things were going so well for him. Uh, Ballast Point's another one, started as a homebrew shop, mm. started making some homebrews and, I uh, wanted to scale those up to a little bit larger production and ended up becoming, again, you know, staples in, in craft beer in America. What So at what point does a home brewer no longer be a home brewer anymore? Sure. Like, how do you, how much beer are you producing where you're like, well, you're not even a home brewer anymore. You're like actually like a brewery. Yeah, I think about 5,000 barrels, barrels of 31 gallons. Wow. So, so quite so a bit. you've got to be making quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, state by state, I think there's laws about how much homebrew you can legally make per so year. So that's like actually like a legal classification. It is. Yeah. Like homebrew yeah. is a legal classification. Yeah. If you brew, I believe, more than 200 gallons in a given year, you technically are supposed to pay taxes on it. And, oh, and it's okay. a tax to know. It, that, that's what controls all of those legal kind of frameworks and windows is the taxation and so, uh, so home brewing is is under two hundred gallons, um, but it's in your garage. So I, I I don't know how well they can claim to police <laughs> <Right>. that. <laughs> so Randy, here's the cool thing: not only is Randy the uh, uh, sort of our beer guru expert, but big dojo guy. And you recently, uh, as your shirt would indicate, you went on the Camp Camacho tour. I did. You and Kevin Acuff That's right. went down That's to right. Honduras. And spent some time with our buddy uh, George and the rest of the guys down That's there. That's right. And had a good time. T talk a little bit about the experience that you had at Camp Camacho and, uh, and how that went for you. Was that a good time? It was an amazing time. And actually, I, I'd be remiss not to thank you 
And and all, all you, you won here the trip. at the dojo, we, won, we the won the trip through Smoke Night Live in a competition you guys had while you were in Honduras, uh, I believe right. in August of last year. And, uh, you know, I didn't even know what to expect. I'd never been on a cigar uh, trip before. But the red carpet that Camacho rolled out for Kevin and I was second to none. Mm. I, I, I'm worried about future vacations because <laughs> nothing is ever going to live up to the experience that we uh, we, we returned on on uh, Saturday of this past week. And, uh, you know, we, we met up with the team down there at Camacho and they picked us up. And okay, I, I got to tell you what the what the actual entourage that comes included with this trip is. So for, for the group of attendees, they literally had three guides that were there to make sure we had the best time of our lives. We had two armed security guards. We had three bodyguards. Well, this is Honduras. Is it in Honduras. <laughs> well, by the way, <laughs> by the way, we had none of that. No. <laughs> so apparently. Now I'm like kind of scared. Like. <laughs> apparently. They were more concerned about your safety <laughs> than the JoJo crew because when we went down, well, we're the it only was ones me. that climbed, the scaled the cliff. That's it was true. me, Jordan, and Jack. They don't do that. That uh, that and Barbara. Anymore. They were just yeah. testing stuff. Barbara, out. Like, Lynn, oh, Barbara, Lynn, and George. And apparently, there was there was really no absolute protection. So like the MS13 gang probably oh, yeah. could have, you know. Kidnapped <laughs> us or whatever. I don't know why they want. Why would they want? MS13, perfect. But you uh, had a great time. We and had an amazing. So time. the cool thing about that, like. Tell folks like, like when you go down there, it's just like an endless supply of cigars. Oh yeah, and you oh, they, yeah. they they br- they break out the diplomas, so you're, like, you're smoking like good stuff the yeah. entire time. Yeah, no, you go you go in there and they've got at least 500 cigars laid out through multiple humidors around the guest house, uh, and you have open ample access to to anything you like to smoke. We were pretty excited, like Kevin and I being down there, obviously. Having the uh, the Imperial Stout collab with Dojo, so that was down there. That was available part of it. To that you. was available at all times. By the way, if it, the Imperial Stout now it's a full national release, so like tell your cigar shop, like, hey, if you, if they don't have it, yeah, that's right, get Br- it. It's worth bring it it's in. Worth begging for, and uh, I think uh, the the initial run was like four thousand boxes, and that's well over half gone. So like, tell your local cigar shop to get that now before it's gone for for good. But that's a great cigar. It's aged in. Uh, this is perfect with you because you're a beer guy. It's aged in Oscar Blues Ten Fifty barrels. Right. The some of the filler tobacco is aged in that. And that I don't know if you got to see the barrels down there. Yeah, we did actually. The barrels yeah. are still down there. There are still aged in tobacco in mm-hmm. those barrels, which is really cool. Like like beer and cigars have. There is a uh, you know a relationship. Synergy. There. Uh, yes, yeah. symbiotic relationship. See that <laughs> symbiotic relationship between beer and cigars, and it's sort of like uh, you know, bur- there's 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 things like bourbon and beer and cigars. They just seem to be communities that s- are similar very in much, a way. Very much. Yeah. So you guys were down there. You had plenty to drink. They have a bar, right? Plenty to drink. Plenty so, to let's drink. Let's not talk about that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jack got a tramp stamp. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, exactly. come on. Anything so, can happen. Yeah, Any, no, anything it, can happen when you're down there. And, you know, and just to say about the bodyguards, yeah. th- at no point did we feel 
that we needed such a security detail. Uh, it was very, very safe. It was beautiful city of De town of Dan, Dan Lee yep. uh, where they took That's us out. It's a really where the charming is. town. It really is. Yeah, I absolutely. really like Dan Lee. Like Dan Lee. You guys. Jordan. Dan Lee. Dan Lee. Dan Lee. Dan Lee. <laughs> Jordan always makes fun of the way I say everything. Dan Lee. Dan Lee was a charming town. So like neat little like small streets with sort of like drooping lights and stuff like that to me like like i envision like cigar places just like right. that town yeah absolutely it's just awesome like yeah, it's it's where you dream of, of a cigar factory might be it was right like, you know what's cool you could have thought you like yeah. like you're driving from uh tegucigalpa which is where you fly in <laughs> you fly in the tegucigalpa how's that jordan <laughs> is that, is that you got right? an extra valve in there but you're close yeah yeah, you, yeah. It, and then you drive like about an hour and a half mm. And you go into Dan Lee, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Randy, you see the Camacho factory. It's like a white shining yeah. beacon of yeah, of just amazing. You know, it's brand spanking new. It's gorgeous. That's right. And you pull in there, and then the 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 rooms are gorgeous. Everybody, you have your own bathroom. It's incredible. And so the, the rooms are actually uh, themed after each of their core cigars. So I was in the Criollo room. Oh. Uh, Kevin A. Cuff was in the Ecuador room. So uh, so yeah, the, I mean, rolling those R's. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, like from the, from Roll the color of the front door to all the like the hanging right. pictures inside. All gorgeous. They're, they're almost to Jordan quality photos uh, of, <laughs> of, of their different brands, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the th themeology behind it was all, all uh, the th yeah, it was all pretty fantastic. So the entire experience, it did it, did it affect the way you think about cigars? Like when you smoke a cigar now, after you've seen, you know, what goes into, you know, it's 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 one thing to sort of see it on video. You know, we've shown videos of people sure. rolling cigars and whatnot. It's one thing to sort of see all that, but it's another thing to actually be there. It really is. And go through the, the fields and then the, you know, the, the processing, the aging barns, and then you go into the factories where they, they, they put the tobacco in the pilons and you put your hand in there and it, all that stuff. And then they're sorting the tobacco. There's yeah. just like so many factors. Does it change the way you feel now when you smoke a cigar? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I... And uh, you don't go from being a home brewer to where I am in beer without really getting into your hobby. So I, I had actually started studying about cigars and had a pretty good understanding. I'm passionate about fermentation in general. So as soon as I, I learned that cigars were a fer fermented product in general, you know, I was I was really intrigued by the fermentation process and, and the whole um, the, the artisan aspect and, and how much how much of a labor of love that this industry really is. And you could read about it and you could watch videos about it. And there is something so much more kind of transformative to actually be there and and watch all the people and how how many folks are out there and they're 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 harvesting the tobacco. I know you guys missed that because you were there in the off season, but right. uh, but but to get to be there in the fields of tobacco right. and, and see the the workers out on the farm pushing it through the different processes, uh, getting to ask questions that there was some right. you know I, I was unclear about just from reading a few chapters of a cigar book here or there. Uh, was was really really special. Get get to actually go through, and they actually did the first night. Manuel did a a, a blending seminar right. where we we were tasting uh, various ligas of uh, exclusively one filler right. to really be able to taste the difference between criollo and corojo. And right. and uh, some yeah, of those you smoke and you're like, wow, this is good. 
Yeah. You smoke it, and you're like, wow, this is pretty darn good. I could just smoke this. Yeah. And then when you you mix them together, you're like, well, okay, wow, that's right. amazing. Right. And you, so, like, it takes a while for your palate to sort of get the feel for the fact that, you know, you've been smoking cigars for a while now, so you're sort of used to it. But when you're down there, you smoke, okay, like, we're going to smoke just this tobacco only. Right. And that's really good. And then you smoke this tobacco. That's pretty good. But then you put them together, and you're like, okay. Right. This oh. is this is like a, <laughs> this is like a different thing. Was there one aspect of the entire trip, uh, either the farming aspect or the processing aspect or the production aspect that w- that sort of struck you as something that was you know like wow this is amazing. Like what was there one aspect of it that you can remember back that you thought wow this is this is I'm I'm really here. This is what I wanted to see. Uh, honestly, being on the farms was, being was on the farms g- gave me goosebumps. Mm-hmm. You know, like. When Manuel would, would go in and say hello to all, all, all the workers and, you know, they were all excited to have us there. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, that was another thing that us showing interest in what they were doing was, was pretty darn cool. Like, like that they were really engaged in it. They were excited to have us there as guests. Um, so that, yeah, yeah, the, the farming probably is, was the mm-hmm. most impactful for me. The production floor, as you guys know, is immense. And I could have never imagined how many people are, are diligently going about their business actually you know the bunching was pretty Mm. darn cool just seeing watching a buncher i mean almost blindly putting tobacco in pushing his fingers down into the lieberman sort of like taking a recipe he's taking a recipe of a certain percentage of tobaccos to make that bunch and then the way he puts it all together and before you know it there's what looks to be almost like a cigar. They, at that they point. make it look so easy, and then they right. let you actually bunch and roll your own cigar, and it's right. anything but easy. I'll tell, right. <laughs> tell you. <what. laughs> yeah, that's amazing, right? And 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 Randy, before we get into craft beer, because that's what this show's about. But before we get into craft beer, I, I think a lot of folks, you know, you think of like maybe Camacho is this big, huge corporate company, and they are. They're a very large company, but in the end. It's really no different than a very, very small company when it gets down to it. There's just more of them. There's like, there's no machines. There's no specialized sorting machines that 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 look at the tobacco and sort it. There's just people. There's just more of them in a bigger factory. And we've been to them all. We've been to General and Davidoff and Camacho and Drew Estate and Espinosa. All of them. Essentially, it's all sort of the same, just on different scales. Right. And that's what's cool, right? Like yeah. when you go to Camacho, you kind of get a different appreciation for, you know, just a regular Camacho cigar because you realize, wow, this is just a, you know, this is a craft cigar, yep. like craft very beer. Much, very much. It's not a machine-produced product. It's a person-produced product. And that and it does give you a new appreciation for Absolutely. some of these companies that even though they're large like Camacho, mm-hmm. they're still it's just a bigger craft company, right? Which is sort of similar to beer, right? I mean, yeah, you have really small home brewers like yourself, and then bigger companies say Avery or or Oscar Blues, mm-hmm. but in in essence, unless they've gotten to the sort of Budweiser level, it's really the same, just on a bigger scale. Absolutely, yeah. No, I mean it's. So hand done, uh, you know the the sorting by hand and the 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 amount of effort they put into putting the wrappers and binders and by color, you know, going through in the various times that they're assessing the color dissimilarities and similarities of not only the the leaves but the finished cigars. Um, and again, you could tell that the people that were there cared about what they were doing. 
you know, I, I don't think you, you end up being a, a successful Camacho roller if, if you don't have a personal kind of, you know, engagement and, and interest in, in the level of quality and of your final product. Was you know, there, was there any uh, instances where you can compare, you know, the craft beer industry to the cigar industry oh, while you totally. were down there? Oh, totally. You know, starting from, like I said, the first night we did. Hand me some of that rye, would you? Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Uh, from the first some night. Laws. When, when we did the. Chad, uh, Colorado. Chad, Chad brought this over. Shout He's out to Chad Bankhead Brewery Chad, outside Chad. of uh, Dallas, Texas. Outside That's of, the first of many shout outs. Outside, <laughs> of, <laughs> outside of Dallas, and he brought uh, local Colorado rye and, and bourbon, so thank you, Chad. Uh, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but go no, on. No, quite, quite all right. Um, so, yeah, going through the, the flavor components and the taste, you know, the, the difference between taste and aroma, uh, having Manuel walk us through that and, and, and pointing out you know which were which tobaccos were saltier versus sweeter um, was was all very in line with what we do in beer and, and identifying how to how to bring different ingredients in to have a, a final product that's actually uh, you know greater than its sum parts right yeah uh, no that, um, that the the whole fermentation process uh, the way they they look at it is a little bit more rustic and natural than, than you find in beer is here in America we use pure inoculate uh, microflora to, to give us an exact flavor where, where it's almost more like wine, where, uh, where they're actually just going with whatever the, the earth and, and the farming practices allowed to exist is, is what takes that fermentation all the way to the final uh, flavor uh, profile that they work with in the scars. All right, so we're going to get heavily into craft beer. So if you're a craft beer uh, fan... And I think a lot of this is going to apply to cigars as well. Sure. And maybe we'll try to, Jordan, as we go, maybe we'll try to uh, continually hearken back to how this also applies to the cigar industry. Ooh, connect some dots. Connect some dots in these uh, questions. So we have ten questions for you, Randy. <laughs> ten craft beer questions that we've always wanted to know. And uh, mainly Jordan compiled these some questions. Random questions, I thought. <laughs> some random <laughs> questions that uh, Jordan started thought started as 15, everybody. Yeah. You had to call them back because some of them were just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's bound to happen. <laughs> hey, you know what? I want to ask about the, why you put uh, ice cubes in, in pop and not beer, and Randy hated the question. He didn't like that question. He hated it. Well, I'm from the West Coast, so you called it pop and lost me immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's Coke. Soda, right? Soda. Soda. Uh, yeah, that's what my wife says. She's from New Jersey. It's always soda. In it's Texas, not. they only say Coke, right? Uh, yeah. I'll have a Coke. Know. What kind? Come on, Chad. Chad? <laughs> we, we, we had a Texas question. You missed it. Yeah, it's too late. Yeah. All right, so question on. number one out of our ten questions, Randy, uh, concerning craft beer. Yes. In your opinion, what sets the upstart breweries apart from the Avery's, the Russian River's, the breweries, the brewery in San Diego, and that's B R U E R Y, not brewery. What sets Placencia, those? California. It's actually Los Angeles County, but okay. the brewery. Yes. What sets those guys apart? You know, from the upstart guys, the the guys that are you know smaller, like Dominic. You, you one of your favorites is Cerebral. Like, what sets the big guys apart? The and when I say big guys, I'm talking about bigger craft brewers. Right. What sets those guys apart? How do they? How do they get to be big? bigger than the upstart guys sure. and what is it that's different about them well the, the reality is all the big guys started as upstarts right and so um 
you know, today the, the, the big difference that really separates them and, and kind of differentiates their opportunities in the market has a lot to do with uh, the, the overall capital that they have to be able to invest in some of the, the high tech quality uh, investments that, that a big brewery would make. You mentioned Avery. Avery has one of the greatest labs that's ever existed in a brewery and and to compare it to now when you say size, lab explain yes. what you're saying all right so so we were talking about fermentation and and so in tobacco they're going with whatever was existing on the leaf and they're they're counting on that being a a healthy combination of yeast and bacteria that's going to go ahead and, and and eat through some of those sugars in in beer we're a little bit more precise about it and so we inoculate with very specific strains of yeast because different yeasts are going to give you different flavor profiles. And, you know, the, the first thing that's going to harm uh, beer in general is if some other bacteria or wild yeast gets involved in the situation and starts creating some off flavors. Or even if they're not unpleasant flavors, they can be flavors that aren't exactly what they were trying to create. So you, they use labs to check to see how much oxygen is in their beer, is oxygen hurts beer very quickly make sure that there's only the the yeast that they were trying to ferment with existing in there and they're able to identify that at a, at a very early stage and in multiple stages of the process to make sure that everything's going just the way they wanted it to go and so they're able to you know provide a, a more consistent high quality product right where if you don't have that lab you know some of these smaller places that that can't they don't have the capital to invest in that right in the beginning. They're kind of taking a flyer. They're, they're hoping that it comes out right. They, they went mm. through the process and tried to do everything in a really clean manner to make sure that the flavor profile is just what they were going for, but they don't necessarily have those, those checks, and measure, uh, checks and balances to but, make sure that it comes out the way they planned. But, Randy, so like all of the upstart guys, yeah. they want to become an Avery. Sure. They want to become Avery. They want to become Oscar Blues. They want to become Russian River. Some do, some don't. Does it come down to that master brewer guy that just has a better sense of of the beer itself? That uh, I mean, sort of like the blender. Like sure. you know, there's a lot of small cigar companies that want to become you know the next you know Roma Craft, right. the next you know, Aganorsa leaf, but there's a good blender there, a good farmer there that sort of, he, he might be better than, you know, the next guy. Is that sort of the same in, in certainly there, there's a very artistic aspect to beer making. And, you know, you mentioned Russian river and, and I'd say uh, a hot button in beer right now is innovation. And so you, when you look at some of those more well-established and, and, and larger breweries, uh, Russian river was very innovative that they created uh, Blind Pig really originally as the first double IPA. And, 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 you know, for years, IPAs were known to be needing to be balanced. And so you had to have a, uh, a malt backbone, we called it, indicating that there had to be some sweetness to balance the, the bitterness. Right. Well, Russian River kind of went off path and, and went with a very dry and bright malt base that allowed the hops to really sing and really be the predominant flavor characteristic. That was one of the first time that American craft drinkers had had something that was really about the hops and really allowed some of those interesting and nuanced flavors from the hops 
be the, the predominant characteristics of, of the flavor profile. And so, um, you, you know, Vinny... So did they sort of, like, create just either intentionally or unintentionally so almost a new category by yeah, doing that? absolutely. I mean, West Coast IPA is, is called that because it started in California, mm. and, and Vinny at Russian River has a big part in that as... The rest of the country was still brewing IPAs that were kind of amber in color, had more caramel malts and had some of that sweetness and caramel characteristic where he went with more of a, a dry and, and straw flavor from, mm. from the hops, from the malt that didn't affect and, and interfere with some of those nuanced, exciting characteristics. That's, and flavors from see, the hops. that's really interesting to me because it's almost like in the cigar industry when, you know, a company will come along and do something that doesn't seem like it's going to work but they have a vision and they stick with it right. and go with it and they just sort of create a category you know that works and so that's 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 a that's an interesting aspect in the industry all right let's go to question two and then we'll we'll take a commercial after this question then we'll do the rest of the questions in the final uh portion of the show uh who's geekier cigar geeks or beer geeks <laughs> That was an interesting question because I'll tell you that there are so many parallels between beer and cigars. One of the reasons I was so excited to get into the industry and or get into cigar smoking and meet all you fine folks uh, is that in both cases, when a limited release comes out, people go crazy about it and they stand in line and they wait while servers melt trying to get the dojo collab. Uh, and, and in beer, they're, they're standing in lines waiting for a $20 four pack of beer that makes no right. sense. And uh, but I would have to say that beer geeks are geekier okay. only because of the access uh, to drinking versus smoking and and home brewing. So so the access to, to the drinking, you just have more occasions during the day, mm. during the week in your life that you can have a beer or smoking. Now you have to find a place where you're not going to offend anybody and be mm -hmm. away from the from the door and so it's just limiting in our, in our in our access to be able to have an occasion where we enjoy a cigar right. uh, the same way you do a beer but these geeks that in <laughs> in in the cigar industry you know they get into you know okay what's like cigar geeks get into you know where was it made what tobacco yep. is yep. in there and I'm assuming have a favorite rapper right and yeah. the yeah. and the beer geeks are even maybe more so like uh, what what hops did they use? Where did they get the hops <laughs> That's from? That's the thing. I think it's really on par with each other. But home brewing is a, is something that that yeah, was my final Yeah, because you don't really decision. have that in cigars. That's right. Like you said, you can find a little kit. You can right. roll some cigars. It's probably more difficult. You know, if you're not ambidextrous, you're going to have a hard time right. rolling cigars. Where home brewing is is anybody can homebrew. You know, you get a pot and a, and a bucket right. and, and you can make a beer that you could be proud of sharing with your friends. And so I think because that entry level uh, kind of engagement of, of making your own and having a better understanding of those flavors. I mean, as a cigar smoker, I, I, I strive to try and find out what the different flavors are and which different components of cigars add which flavors. And it's, it's not that accessible. I don't have just a shop down right, the street where I right. can go and, and engage in all these different tobaccos where there's homebrew shops all over the country. And people are, are able to make their right. own and, and have a better sense of what chocolate malt or caramel malt are, are doing to are there the total Are there flavor. local laws regarding home brewing? Like there are some local laws in, 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 around home brewing. Uh, you're only allowed to brew a certain amount of beer and um, I think 200 barrels is, is what the cap is before you owe the IRS some money for what you're doing. 
Um, right. And, and so, but so other than that, that yeah, I mean, quantity-wise, you, you know, mo most brewers will tell you, you know, you don't necessarily have to call yourself a home brewer. I'm a brewer. I brew at home. Just indicates that the the uh, equipment that I work on and the batch size that I make is is indicative of me doing it in my kitchen. But the the process and technique, there is no difference between what I do in my kitchen versus what New Belgium does on a 500 barrel batch at a time. I, you're, you're still malting, you're, right. you use multi-grain, you, you mash that out, you, you ferment that, and you, end up, you end up with a great fermented beer. Um, yeah, the, the process never changes, no matter, it scales really quite well. Right. All right, so let's take a quick break, and then I've got eight more questions about beer. So if you're a beer geek, Hang tight. We'll be right back with Randy Griggs in one minute. Here at SeriousCigars.com, we specialize in premium high-end and boutique cigars, along with carrying a wide selection of the most popular cigar brands around. We have an array of premium cigars, accessories, humidors, cutters, and lighters. When new products hit the market, SeriousCigars.com is the first to have them available for sale. We offer a variety of promotions to all of our customers. As an added bonus, order by 3 p.m. Monday through Saturday, and your order ships the very same day. Our best in-class customer service team can help with whatever you need. We are SeriousCigars.com. You live a cigar lifestyle? Do you have a passion for fine beer, premium spirits, and old cuisine? If so, you are in the right place. This is Cigars.com. What makes Cigars.com unique, it's not only its superb selection of premium cigars, but the fact that it is powered by you. We will showcase special deals and features along with tips and tricks from industry experts to enhance your cigar lifestyle. A new era in cigars have arrived, and it starts here. There's one in the corner. All right, we're back. Episode 191, 191. Smoke Night Live, we're here with Randy Griggs, beer guru and personal friend of mine. Right here, right there. Uh, so uh, we're talking craft beer. So if you're a craft beer geek, uh, this is the show for you. Randy, we've been asking you some questions. Um, let's just keep cranking on these questions and just plow right into the whole craft beer industry because sure. this is interesting to me. I'm a kind. I like. I love craft beer. I'm not a. I'm. I wouldn't consider myself even kind of an expert. I just drink it occasionally, but uh, I, I. I do see the parallels. Yep. Here we go. Thank you, sir. This is on to. It's almost empty. Well, what is that? I think Chad drank. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ch Chad drank most of that odd thirteen. He's tanked over here. He's tanked. Yeah. So it gives me a chance to get some more rye. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so Randy, the next question is: uh, three most underrated beer style styles that the average Joe might not have tried but should. Okay. So here we go, folks. This is sort of like the question on cigars, like you know, like mm -hmm. what's what's the coming trends, you know, like for a while, you know, in in New Orleans, Jordan, a couple years ago, like. You know, amped up Connecticut's where just everybody was doing them. Da 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 da. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as uh, beers go, if you're sort of like dabbling in the craft beer industry and you've had some of the stouts and da da da, -da IPAs, what are some of the other things that you know you might want to try that are sort of like moving up the ladder? Yeah, sure. Uh, so for me, saisons is something I've been on a milk 
crate Ooh. for years saying that that should be the next IPA. Uh, if, you, if you look at what saisons are with uh, the, the Belgian tradition. Explain a saison. What is uh, it? Well, a saison is the French word for season. And uh, the, as, the, as the story goes, was a, a regular farmhouse ale that was brewed for the farm workers and was given to you a, as a treat mm. at the end of the day. After a hard toiling day in the fields, you'd come up and the, you know, uh, a state owner, your boss, would pass out and give everybody a saison. And, and so, you know, when you think about the scenario in which they were handed out and drank, it, it plays right into the descriptions of it. It's very refreshing. It's very flavorful. It's very dry and, and easy to drink and slightly higher in alcohol to give you a little bit of a thank you for so a, a little, hard day's work. A little more ligero. <laughs> right? Exactly, yeah. A little more yeah. ligero. Yeah, but having those Belgian yeasts in there, you get a lot of... Uh, other flavors. Uh, it's a little I more mean, complex I, than IPA for me. Extreme, I, I go, I go much saison. more complex. The the yeast that they use in that are going to bring out a lot more of the, of the spicy phenols and, and the fruity esters. So you're you're going to get some. Wait, what did you say? A fruity ester? A fruity ester. <laughs> a fruity <laughs> ester, which which is going to come across as it, it could ah. be like stone fruit, like a peach. That was or my an nickname in college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they call Jack these days. Or I don't know. Hey, Jack, that was my nickname in college. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. I got a full beer now. Oh, so what do we got here? This is, by the way, this is the Weldworks. It's a double. It's a collab, right? It's a double hazy. It's a collaboration beer made here Jordan, in Colorado by Weldworks. Glass right there. It's right in front of you. They collaborated with the wonderful this, how come don't Crosby see too many Family Hop Farms. Give me a little bit of that. That This is really good. Wait, it just seems like you don't see too many double hazies. I don't know. Yeah, just me? Uh, that's good. That's that good. might be you. It okay. might be Colorado. I see a lot of double hazies okay. these days. Um, but th th this is a, a project that Weldworks Ooh. did with Crosby Hop Farms. It's a great family-run uh, farm out of, out of Oregon. I've actually been there. They're, they're fabulous people. Now, Weldworks is local to us, That's but right. Crosby is Oregon. That's right. And, and it looks like they have a third collaborator. I haven't heard of the first Vayek out of Berlin. Uh, wow. I, I haven't had any of their, their beers yet. So what makes something a double and, and, or uh, a triple? You know what? I love that question. Uh, I just so, came uh, up with that. No, that was good. Jordan, uh, Jordan, I just came <laughs> up with that right then. Uh, literally. On the spot. So double IPA uh, was created as uh, an indication of a stronger, higher alcohol, more flavor-forward version of its single version. Now, how do you make it a double? What can constitute a double? Hi higher. Is it just the alcohol content? Is it's that not it? just the alcohol content. So okay. more ingredients are going into it in general. Okay. So it should be hoppier. It's kind of subjective. And there's a triple. Is there, really is, are there triples? Are there triple yeah, well, there are There are triple IPAs. So, right. I know so, that. So you're going to see. Uh, what about hazies? Is there triple hazies? Too many Absolutely. questions. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm going for <laughs> You only answer one at a time here. <laughs> I'm going uh, for it. Take it easy. So what I would tell you is like a single IPA is going to go from 6.5 to 7.8% alcohol. Uh, once you hit that eight threshold, you're now into the double realm. And then we've got some triple IPAs that I really like that, that are in the 11 and a quarter percent range. But, but it's not just the alcohol. It's overall ingredients that are going into it. So it, it has more malt flavor. It has more of that mm. bready straw characteristic as well as hugely more aromatic hops. And so to be honest, 
I'm, I'm actually not a fan of the term double or triple because it causes so many questions and confusions with consumers. Well, what's double? Because as, I just, right. as I, I just said, it's not we go. twice as much alcohol. It's just a stronger version. And so what okay. we would typically use in other styles, like a stout, imperial. would be imperial. So I call them imperial IPAs. Mm -hmm. okay. um, but when, once triple IPA came out, they kind of threw a wrench and everything. And I do call those triple IPAs. But, uh, but, but, but yeah, double is just an indication that it's a beefed up, bigger, more flavorful, more, more alcoholic version of, of whatever style denotion they've, they've already indicated. Yeah, like I think like... Randy, I don't know. I'm, this is like probably a totally like uh, uh, newbie style question, but I remember uh, initially I, when I drank an IPA, I, I wasn't a big fan. It tastes like pine. Yes. Right. Yes. And it wasn't until I had a double that all of a sudden I began to appreciate more IPAs. Syrupy texture. Because it had more of a syrupy, thicker flavor to it. Yeah. And now I love IPAs. That's almost all I drink, it, whether it be hazy or anything else, it was literally just that thicker, stronger flavor sure. that sort of brought that just harsh pine down a bit. Right. You right. know what I mean? No, I, it, that makes all the sense in the world. Whether you understand it yet or not, you're about to. Okay. Uh, so so the, the one of the big conversations in beer, we talk about balance a lot. And when you have a highly hopped beer, you often, bitterness comes from hops as well as all these aromatics and flavors I'm talking about. Uh, you get bitterness from there. And so when you have a, a ton of bitterness, it can be somewhat offensive on the palate. And, you know, to be honest, it's incredible that IPA is such a big style in America is when we were hunters and gatherers, bitterness was the first indicator that something might be poisonous mm. and might kill us and, and so genetically we should kind of be afraid of bitterness and it's just through natural evolution that we can enjoy it as much as we do now so to get that higher alcohol you add more malt which is where you get the sweetness in beer okay and so when you add more sweetness it kind of tones down your perception of that bitterness. Sweetness and bitterness balance each other on the palate right. to where you can have a beer that has a ton of bitterness and a ton of sweetness, and you might not really be able to perceive necessarily either because they balance right. each other out so much. But the texture that you talked about is very much uh, a, a, a real tactical sensation of when you have all that sugar in there, whether you're noting it as a sweet beverage or not, you have that, that thicker, more viscous texture that absolutely lends to the to uh, kind of a softer and calmer uh, perception of the hops and bitterness more specifically all right now this next question uh jordan i don't even understand the question so i'm just gonna ask it i don't even understand what it means because i'm i probably wrote it when i was drunk or something yeah like may, maybe jordan <laughs> i don't maybe, maybe not either those are the maybe best questions. jordan wrote this when he had had several uh, imperial Hazies, but um, <laughs> so he can't find it. Barrel versus kettle. So, so uh, what does that mean? We, we talked a little bit about sour beers, and so okay. there, there's a clear distinction between a kettle sour and a barrel aged sour. So, a kettle sour would be your your gozas, your Berliner Weisses. They're they're lighter in, in body. They're lower in alcohol, but they have that like clear acidic bite, and that's actually created quickly in a 24 to 36 hour period where you actually put lactobacillus which is a bacteria that creates lactic acid and so when we, when we taste acidity mm -hmm. we refer to that as sourness acid and sour same thing 
And so, um, so when you when you do it in a kettle, you're you're kind of forcing it through that that transformation very very quickly, where a barrel aged sour would be a finished beer that you would brew and then put it into a barrel. Typically for for sours, it would be a wine barrel, and so and then you'd you'd introduce some some of those bacteriums and and wild yeast in that stage, but you would allow it to rest for six to eighteen months. And so not only are you getting that lactic sour bite that you do from a kettle sour, you're also getting a certain level of complexity from the wine characteristics. If it's a blonde sour, it's probably going into a Chardonnay barrel. So you're getting some of those wine Chardonnay flavors. You're getting some of that oak flavor a little bit, getting some microoxidation through that oak That's stave. what I'm talking about. Yeah. So now I think we thought of this actually now that I think of it. We were at the brewery the other night at Epic Brewing. And they, what are those things called? Fodders? Fooders. 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 Because I had never, I thought they had these giant barrels, and I had always just seen, you know, beer aged in bourbon barrels. But they, these barrels, look, I thought they were fake. I thought they were just props. But they're like, you know, like 15 times the size of a barrel. Sure. And yeah. sours are often aged in those, right? That That's right. And so those are, they go to a winery first. They ferment wine out in them. Once they've... They've used them a few times. They've really absorbed most of that oaky characteristic from the okay. oak staves. And so they can't any longer use them for wine. So then they sell them to, to a, beer, uh, a beer brewer. And then you put your beer in them. And there's still enough oak characteristic and wine characteristic that it's imparting those flavors. And it's just a great place for, for those bacteria so to, to kind of congregate and ferment some more. So there's no advantage or disadvantage to kettle versus barrel just sure. different well there, right? there's an advantage and a disadvantage from from a from a time and cost standpoint okay because like i said you can it, do a kettle quick that's right that's right so you're you're going to find a kettle sour a six pack can relatively the same price as you're going to find an ipa or and brown it, will ale it or say that else. on the beer it'll say that on the beer like it'll say gozo or berliner weiss and it's really up to the consumer to understand that that means wow. that it's a sour style of beer Okay. Uh, where you know your barrel aged sours, you mentioned the brewery earlier. You know the brewery and Russian River are both world class American uh, uh, sour producers. Uh, you guys have one of the greatest sour producers right here in in, in your guys' neck of the woods with New Belgium. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't don't recognize that about New Belgium is they were the first in America to really bring that uh, that style of beer to America. As it was a traditionally old Belgian style. Of doing sour beers, and so uh, so as they have to sit for six to eighteen months, that's why you end up paying twenty bucks for a seven fifty uh, cork and cage bottle, and, and so it's a higher price point because they put so much more time and effort into caring for it, making sure that nothing went wrong for such an extended period of time. All right, uh, here's a question that I think everybody can relate to, like as far as beer goes. This is a question. I think six or five or whatever. It doesn't, doesn't really matter what, what it is, but we're on this question. Uh, like, I can drink I can drink bourbon. Mm. I can drink bourbon. Love drinking bourbon. And it doesn't, it doesn't make me feel full. Sure. Beer, I drink a couple beers. I feel full. Why does beer make me feel so full when I drink beer? So, so the short answer is because is it's a carbonated me. beverage. And so because we carbonate beer with CO2 and you see all the little bubbles coming up. Sure. The, that CO2 is a gas that's literally like stuck in, in the liquid of beer. And okay. so 
the colder the beer is, the more it's stuck in there. As it warms up, you'll see it foams more. So if you're drinking a really cold beer that's filled with all this gas and you pound that beer and that <laughs> that hits your hot stomach and all that gas like, escapes the like, liquid. Like Jack, he'll frumble a beer and just oh, chug it. That's the worst thing I've ever seen. Jack, please <laughs> stop doing that. Please stop doing that. <laughs> so it's just it, it is literally kind of intuitively what I would think, like just the bubbles and no. the amount of liquid that you're putting in your belly. It's really the gas more than the liquid. The gas. Be, be, because it, it hits your stomach and now your stomach's half filled with liquid, half filled with gas. Right. And so I it, it's a it's a large why, amount why of gas. Why do we gas do this to ourselves? Because <laughs> <laughs> it tastes so good. It does taste it good. <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's yeah. it's the carbon dioxide that, that escapes the liquid once it hits your hot stomach that gives you that kind of bloated and, and more full feeling. All right. So uh, the next question, here's one that we, we often ask about cigars. Uh-oh. So it's a very similar question ah. to the cigar industry. If, if you were a doctor and the, yes. and the craft beer industry was a patient and the craft beer industry came into your office, Randy Griggs, Ph.D. doctor, hmm. and he like said, that. you know, how am I doing, doc? You know, uh, what's your prognostication for the craft beer industry? How do you see it right now? How do you see it moving forward in the next 10 years? How is the craft? Because, like, it exploded. Yeah. Exploded like crazy. Like, here in sure Colorado, is. exploded. There was a, yep. There's breweries on every corner, but now some of them are closing because it was just oversaturated. Sure. Uh, so how do you see right now, if you were to just uh, look at the craft beer industry and say, like, this is your... This is your prognostication. This is how you're doing. So craft beer is extremely healthy. Um, as, as, a, as a country, because of uh, prohibition, we, started, we came off of prohibition and went to an industrial age in our country, which led to uh, the industrialization of beer. And so for many, many years, it was Bud, Miller, Coors, and these very right. light lagers, you know, Schlitz and, and Paps. Right. Where, where people were looking for... Schlitz, the beer that made Milwaukee famous. That's right. That's right. I've been to that brewery. Yeah. Just, like, just the kiss of the hops. It's just the kiss of the hops. <laughs> the beer with three nicknames. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so as a whole country, when they thought about beer, they thought about domestic light lagers, as we call them today. You know, they, they really weren't that flavor forward. They were really more of a vehicle for alcohol into your bloodstream. And, and that's what people were looking for, is just something cold, refreshing, gave you a buzz. And, and I think as a, as a culture, we, we've really like gone the other way, looking for a more flavor-filled experience with, with our you know, luxury dollars, if, if you will. And, uh, and so craft beer has exploded because all these drinkers that were already drinking beer found that they can find something really flavor-forward in craft beer. And so craft beer has been taking a huge part of the share of, uh, of domestic beer. When I started in the industry, we were literally 2% of all beer volume sold mm. in America. Uh, today, we're, we're closer to 18 to 20% of all the beer drank because people are interested in it. Now, you, like you said, you can find breweries in your, in your local neighborhood, right. and you can support local, and you can go and see and meet the brewer. And so there's more of an emotional connection to what the, mm. what the beer is rather than just something that, that I slam. I don't know where it came from. You know, I, I think the, the mountains are blue, so it's cold enough. You, you know, it, when you go from that to really enjoying Burn. the difference, and then you, then you look at the styles. And, you know, I became a, a beer judge at, at 21 years old, and 
Uh, at the time, Kraft had a beer judge. I, I am a, a That's what I want to be. Judge. That's right. <laughs> I want to be a beer judge for a living. So, so I became a beer judge before the explosion of craft. And when I would, when people would meet me and I would tell them that I'm a beer judge, one of the first questions people always ask you is two questions people always ask when you tell me you're a beer judge. First, do you spit? Because wine judges spit, and everyone kind of. <laughs> and uh, and and what's your favorite beer? So, so since I brought it up, let me answer those. Beer judges don't spit. And it's because of that bitterness that we talked about that you find in IPAs so much is that the receptors on your palate for bitterness are on the are, are over your tongue, but they're also on your palate in the back of the throat. So to truly appreciate all mm. the bitterness and flavor, okay. you really do have to swallow it where bitterness isn't a part of the flavor profile of wine. And so they're able to get the sweetness and, mm. and the, the bitterness and I'm sorry, not the bitterness, but the di different uh, salty characteristics that you would taste in your mouth. They can get all that just by swishing it around their mouth, and then they can spit it out. It's like with cigars, sometimes just a little bit of an inhale will add a little extra yeah, just something a, you wouldn't have gotten. Some people say, like with the cigars, like Jordan's saying, it, you know, you, you don't inhale cigars. Well, yeah, every once in a while. A little bit does help you sure. perceive that. So. When you were a beer judge, would you say you were sort of more of like a, a Judge Judy beer judge, or were you like <laughs> a Judge Wapner, sort Judge of, Million, the hottest you know, judge on television? You know, were you? I was definitely ah, more yeah, than that. Maybe. No, so that's what I'm talking about. As a beer judge, you know, there's judgings of everything that's flavor focused, and, and there's different criteria. Beer judging has actually developed a great foundation and structure to be very objective. So, you know, most people would say, do you like it or not? Is ultimately why you should buy a cigar or a beer right. or anything is it else. good? But when we're doing a judging and you have 19 different IPAs lined up in front of you, you've got to decide what the best one is. Right. Uh, flavor is very subjective based on sure. where, where you're from, what foods you like, what, what your background is. You know, I, I know you're, you're proudly Italian, and, and, and so you would go maybe for a different profile than I would go for. And, and so it's so subjective that, that it's really not a, a fair side-by-side -side comparison. So beer judging is mm. very objective. So we have a style guideline that stipulates an IPA should have such and these such. characteristics. And so I found as a beer judge, as I was learning and, and, and having great mentors who explained to me these things, there were beers that I personally didn't care for at all. It's not something I would ever buy a six-pack of or order mm. a pint of, but but objectively to the style guidelines was more precisely accurate stylistically than its counterpart. You know, if you get down to two beers at the end mm. and you got to give the gold medal to something, you got to take your own personal preferences out of it. So this is sort of like more like the, like the Westminster kennel dog show. Like mm. you're looking at like, you know, like a, uh, a golden retriever. What should a golden retriever what characteristics should a golden retriever have? Not sure. what not what I like in a dog. Right. I might I might like a Great Dane, but for this golden retriever, what should this we golden retriever Dane. have? Is that that's sort of what you're saying, right? That, that's exactly right. 
Okay. And as much of a, a fan of Jacob as I am, as Jordan has a beautiful, huge, horse-like dog, uh, yeah, I, I'm more of a short-haired dog. And so right. a long-haired dog is not really what I'm going to pick up if I'm going to select my right. new furry life okay. partner. And, uh, and and so that's very subjective. That's that's just my personal preference. But, it, yeah, exactly. But you have, to, you have to separate yourself right. from that and that's say, right. okay, this is what a lo this lo this type of logger should have. That's right. And so and so forth. All right. Uh, next question. Uh, what can hop varietal tell you about an IPA? So you have American hops, German hops, English hops, Czech hops, Southern Hemisphere hops. What what do these types of hops tell you about the, the IPA that you might be drinking? So IPA very specifically because, like we talked about, it, it, that, that is a style that the hops are the dominant pre predominant flavor contributor to the overall experience of drinking it. A hot varietal can tell you a ton uh, uh, about your IPA. So if you're if you're drinking a West Coast IPA, you're, you're typically going to be focused on American hop varietals, which is Cascade and Centennial and Columbus. And those varietals grown in the pack Northwest are known to impart characteristics that are very citrusy, piney, or resinous, uh, very dank. You know, literally. You know, I, I, I tell people all the time, you know, it's it, um, hops are a in the same family as marijuana. And so a lot of times you'll be at the bar and someone will get a big American hoppy IPA and they'll kind of nudge their buddy and say, oh, it smells like a bag of weed. Right. Um, and th that's that's a flavor dominant profile where if you're into the juicy IPAs, the southern hemisphere producers like New, New Zealand and Australia, they produce different varietals of hops that drive different flavor components. So you get tropical fruit, you get juiciness, mm. you get stone fruit, you get papaya and mango. And this is really similar to tobacco because very much. You know, the DR produces Absolutely. a certain you know type of flavored tobacco. Nicaragua has kind of the peppery tobacco and so forth in Honduras. Well, and uh, kind of the reason I asked this is like, do you think the the just the beer drinker in general is more educated now to where like. Nowadays, when I see, uh, you, in the old days, you would see, like, oh, this is a West Coast IPA. That's all right. you need to know. Nowadays, you see an IPA, and it says right on the can, Simcoe, you know, Citra, whatever. It says the hops, like, sure. as if you're supposed to know what this is about to taste like. So, so there's, uh, you know, the hop producers have websites you can go and find out that, that Citra hop drives a melon and tropical fruit characteristic that if you really like that papaya and mango characteristic, you probably want to find a beer that, that uses Citra or Simcoe that are driving those flavors, where if you really prefer that, that citrusy, just bright, acidic, orange rind, lemon rind characteristic, maybe a West Coast IPA that's more grapefruit-like is, is probably the better way for you to go. Wow. So uh, that's super interesting to me. So they get like these hazy IPAs from that sort of like came from New England, though it seems to be all the wow. rage right now, right? <laughs> Embrace it. Wait, if Terrence Embrace is watching, it. I call them hazy or juicy IPAs, when I not said, New England. When I said that, you like, you like literally like recoiled. <laughs> you like literally recoiled in your seat. Now, why, why did you recoil in your seat when I said New England style IPA? You guys have enjoyed, you know, the IPA claim for years. Come on, give them a little something. All right, so there were some New England breweries that did some stuff, and uh, <laughs> but did but, some <laughs> stuff. Some people <laughs> did some stuff, but they were focused on those Southern Hemisphere hops that are coming from Australia and New Zealand. They also imparted some some new techniques that were very innovative, right? Because in, in like in general, yeah, like for a long time, like you wouldn't want like a beer that wasn't clear, 
That's right. You know. That's right. That that as a as a brewer, you're trained that that's an unfinished and an improper way to serve it. But beer yeah, to look at look at this. <laughs> it's completely thick opaque. and opaque. Opaque. <laughs> so. So what happened? This is like the, all the rage now. It, it, it really is, and and uh, and and that that juicy characteristic from those Southern Hemisphere hops have become so hot, and and really, part of that it, it is absolutely innovation by by certain brewers that may or may not have been in New England. Wow, he's yeah. he's having a hard time. <laughs> really Jordan, he's it. really struggling with this question. <laughs> he's really uh, struggling with this question a lot. But historically speaking, uh, uh, Germany, England, and North America were were the major hop producers, and it was only after 2007 when we had this worldwide hop shortage that other countries started planting these crops and seeing an opportunity that they could also mm. grow this agricultural uh, uh, pro crop and, and, and produce it for uh, brewers. And so, you know, they really leveraged that. So those tropical fruit characteristics, when I started drinking IPAs, didn't exist. An IPA should be grapefruit-like and orangey and lemony and citrus really was mm. the defining character of an IPA. An American IPA, you know, uh, England's got their own kind of take on it with their hops. But when those fr those juicier and tropical fruit and stone fruit characters started coming from these hops in, in the Southern Hemisphere, that became a new resource for brewers to be able to work with and mm. impart into their final flavor profile with their Why beers. does that have to be involved with the hazy? Like, couldn't they have just made an IPA? With 100%. There's a lot of really good uh, kind of West Coast IPAs that are clear as can be that are using those same hops, and they're giving that tropical fruit juicy characteristic. So it, it really is completely separate from, from Hazy. And NITs, because I'm, I'm kind of hoping Terrence Riley's watching, <laughs> and, and, I, and I, I, I like to refuse to, to believe that any one region is so soundly you know responsible for any beer style because home brewers exist so any innovation that exists at a commercial level was done by a home brewer in a garage years before and we just never got a chance to be exposed to it so uh that being said so hazy is totally different than just having tropical fruit characteristics but it has become a defining property within those hazies as they focus heavily on those hops and those flavor profiles all right all right, our final question. I'm going to just combine the last two All questions right. into one because they're sort of related. Ah, oh, they um, are. They are related. Uh, so the death of the bomber, like why are uh, breweries moving away from bomber-style packaging? Like for the longest time, like like craft breweries, you know, you get bombers, right? And it doesn't seem like that's like the main thing well, anymore. Like bomber was like it was like it was like a buzzword that would tell you like, oh, this is a good this beer. Is a, this is a very good much, beer. Very much. And so then the second part of this question, uh, and I'll let you just just respond in general to all of this is, what are the advantages and disadvantages of cans, you know, versus bottles? Uh, packaging in the craft brewery mm. industry seems to be sort of evolving. Mm -hmm. and what are your thoughts very on much. on these items? Well, if it's all right with you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually divert a little bit. Okay. With divert those, all with, you want. With those last two questions being the end of this, I'm gonna try and drag this on. Let, let me address one more thing on Hazy before we move on. Oh, you see, he's, st he's still, <laughs> he's still fired up. <laughs> he's still fired up about the Hazies. Well, well we talked about hops. Terrence, we talked about those flavors. I hope you're watching. <laughs> uh, hazy, hazy beers 
aren't just those tropical hops. They're actually imparting different brewing techniques, and that's where the real innovation with Hazy comes. And, and I, I believe we missed a question about, uh, about the trends that we'll, we'll see. Uh, Jordan had asked me ahead of time, what fat, what trends do we see right now that will be short-term fads versus yes, that's what, the one what I will to be get to. long-term? Because, like, at the Great yeah, American you, Beer Fest, they still don't, as far as last year, they still didn't consider Hazy even a style. Last year was the first year that they did. Oh, actually. they did it? Yes. Okay. Yes. But it was the first year, and Hazy has been popular for two or three years already at that point. And, and, you know, as a quick side note to the credit of the Great American Beer Festival, which is our nation's largest no. commercial beer competition. Right here in Colorado. Right here in Colorado, that's right. They they change their styles every year, trying to allow for brewers who are jumping on these trends and, and trying to impart innovation into their brands. They continue to change the, the terminology and the different categories you can enter into to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to compete on, on you know, on, on a high level at what they're actually focused on. Because what sure. a brewery's focused on is what the consumer's drinking, what they're asking for at the bar. You know, they're trying to, you know, make, make us as beer drinkers happy. So w with Hazy, the real innovation certainly wasn't South Hemis Southern Hemisphere hops, but it's actually a, a different use of the hops and how they're imparting it. So I told you earlier that bitterness comes from hops as well as aroma and flavor. And so while bitterness can be very divisive. A lot of mm -hmm. people will tell me that they don't like IPAs and they don't really know why. They don't necessarily have the vocabulary or in tune enough with their taste. The majority of it, in my opinion, is that they find the bitterness offensive. And so the thing about hazy IPAs or New England style IPAs, is just for you, Terrence, uh, <laughs> is that they, they use more hops at a later stage of the brewing process that 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 infuses this mm. huge aromatic and huge flavor of those tropical fruits without having the side effect of bitterness and so they're a much much lower bitterness as a general when you talk about the hazy style mm -hmm. they should be lower in bitterness and and much more profound in their aromatics and flavor and because you know, it's one of the things as a craft industry, we look at where we have an opportunity to expand our market. The female drinker typically didn't like IPAs, right. and, it, and it's a scientific fact. Women are better tasters than men. They, ha they mm. have a higher concentration of, of those receptors on their taste buds. And so it, it makes perfect sense that a high-level bitterness is going to be even more offensive for them than it is for men. And so what we have now with the hazy, where you have this pillowy, soft, non-bitter, hop-forward characteristic. Uh, we've now introduced mm. I, uh, IPA to all kinds of men and women who would tell you they don't like IPAs because they were so bitter. And now they tr try a hazy IPA and they say, oh, but I like this very much. It's very it's, fruity and it's, juicy. And exactly. Without that bitterness. So and is so, it a trend? So I am a firm believer that of all the hot trends that pop up and die out, that Hazy actually will be here to stay. That this is, this is a, a new take on, on introducing that flavor profile of the hops to beer drinkers where they don't have to suffer through the bitterness as well. Tell and, me and, a style that is a trend, in your opinion. Uh, uh, you mean a trend that is a fad? Yeah, I think fad. Is what you're going for? I would say, unfortunately... Let's talk about some that have already died. How about that? I don't, I don't, 
uh, black IPA was really hot mm. for a while, mm. right? Everyone was rushing to black IPAs and red IPAs and session IPAs, trying to deliver different versions of the IPA mm. that, was, that was, you know, reached a broader audience. And I think Hazy's the first one that's really done that. You know, what one of the hot ones. Go ahead, Jordan. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Brut, brut, brut. Is, that, is this a fad? Brut is is a style that um, hits home for me. It's created in San Francisco in, in a market that that I work and live in, and it was created by a great brewer. I'm good friends with Kim, and and it, you know, he developed an well, idea. Describe this style a little bit. So Brut IPA. He came up with this idea that what if we took an IPA. And we made it drier, even so dry that it was almost champagne-like, champagne hence mm. the term brute. And so it's very, very dry. It doesn't have that texture and that viscosity that you were talking about. It has a higher effervescence. So it's very, very bubbly and very carbonated. And, and those carbonation bubbles actually bring the hop characters out and enhances them and, and, and really gives you that nice sting, you know. Uh, mm. that, that one has been hot. In, to hop heads, to the people that already love IPAs, I think where it will not last like Hazy will is it never really broke through to a non-IPA drinker the way it has, Hazy it's has. It's like the anti-Hazy. It's exactly It's kind of the anti-Hazy, yeah. The spectrum. Yeah, no, I think so. And so, well, it's a, it's a great beer. I'm an IPA drinker. I love brewed IPAs. But those people that would tell you I don't like IPAs, they're not going to like a brewed IPA any more than they're going to like a West Coast IPA where a hazy IPA is going to give them a different mm. experience on the palate uh, when they're drinking it. So I think Brute's probably more of a fad. And, you know, honestly, the numbers are already vetting that out as, you know, brewers are, are clamor to come out with beers that, that people are asking for. And we, we saw a ton of Brute IPAs come out this year. And already some of them are, are kind of dialing it back and realizing, you know what, maybe we should move mm. back to something more, more traditional. And so uh, brewed IPAs, uh, and I guess you have me on, on camera now to, uh, that I'm saying, I think brewed IPAs die out as a fad, and hazy IPAs, I believe, are here to stay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. All right, so advantages, disadvantages to cans yes. versus bottles. Yes, we and, have, the, and the bomber dying. We have so many breweries now, you, get, you mainly get cans. But I remember back in the day, like, you know, like Oscar Blues, mm -hmm was like, wow, craft oh, beer in a can. They were the first. You know, it was they like, wow, craft beer in a can, not a bottle. That's right. So what are the advantages and disadvantages versus cans and bottles? Well, just to give a little bit of a historic perspective, too, is not only was Oscar Blues the first craft beer in a can, they, they went to that when no one had ever seen high-quality, high-flavor beer delivered in a can format. The only cans they ever saw were domestic light lagers, and they believed that uh, that craft beer should be in a bottle. And so when I started selling beer, it was you couldn't convince somebody that a beer in a can could be high quality. There was just a, it, we it was had, like a had, mental thing. It was a mental thing. We had too many years that Banquet comes in a can and Budweiser comes in a can. These great craft beers yeah. I drink only <laughs> come in bottles. And so uh, it, it, it was a very difficult transition in general. Um, and 21st Amendment was very early on that. You know, mm -hmm. they've got one of my favorites. Is they say they only put beer in a can, a 12-ounce version, a 5-gallon, and a 15-gallon. You're referring to their kegs. Uh, the reality is that a can is a much better closure mm. for beer. You know, the, the, the things that make beer go old or, or, or 
not taste right quickest is light, heat, and oxygen. And so when you're in a bottle, you can visibly see there's always a little bit of headspace. There's empty air in between the liquid level and that cap, mm -hmm. where when you've got a can, you're putting that right down in the liquid. I, a brewery that really has their canning line dialed in, you'll peel that back and, and beer will just immediately start coming out and filling the little cap. So, so they have a much better opportunity to keep air completely out. Mm. You've got light. As I said, that, that harms beer, UV, will, will break down hops to make it taste skunky. Like, mm. you, know, you know, anybody that's using a green or a clear bottle, it's going to be skunky within a few minutes of you being in a park. Corona. And sun <coughs> it, it, right. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not familiar with that brand specifically, but, but if it's in a clear bottle, yeah, it probably gets a little skunky. And so, um, so a can is just a better protecting vessel for beer in general that it keeps oxygen out it why did it take so long to sort of realize it, this just the mental hurdle mm. of accepting that high quality beer can be delivered in this package but today it's the hottest thing going sure if you're a craft brewery and you have a, a bottling line you're sitting there kicking yourself thinking man i wish i had invested in the canning line because that's what's hot because cans really do have such a huge value, not only to protect the beer better, but that, you know, as, mm. as, a, as a culture, we're becoming more health conscious. We're, we're, we're taking hikes more. We're taking our dogs to the park and the beach. It's easier to pack in and out. It's much lighter as, you, as you're a production brewer and you're sending your beer, say from California out to Colorado, that's a lot of weight in glass that, that's traveling. And so, so your actual carbon footprint is much, much lower because you're using less gas mm. to, to come over the, those beautiful mountains that you guys get to enjoy in your horizon every day. And, and so cans offer that ability to uh, really shrink our, our, our carbon footprint as a whole. It's less expensive in a trucking line because they're lighter in weight in general. And, and just for ease of, uh, of transport, it's a lot easier. I'm a disc golfer. You know, when I go out into the mountains to go throw some discs, it's a lot easier to put a 12-pack of cans in my backpack and carry it than it would bottles because of the weight of the glass. But my, my carbon yeah. footprint is like Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> <laughs> like Shaquille O'Neal. All the things I said, that's what you had to keep it on. Yeah. <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal footprint is my carbon footprint. I try to like spend as much carbon as possible yeah, yeah, yeah. No, in everything that I do. Why not? As you yeah. would. As you would. But the bombers are still mostly so bombers, bombs, right? So, so bombers, for anyone that's that's not you familiar with the some term. giant cans. But. Uh, a, a, a bomber is a, is a bit of a buzzword and a nickname that we came up with for 22-ounce bottles. 22-ounce bottles became the hottest thing in craft beer seven years ago for a few different reasons. Uh, they, they were very high-margin products for, for breweries. They had to fill less packages to sell to a store. They were a great sampling opportunity as a consumer wants to try a beer. It's just like, you know. You I, split it with your buddies. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I always call the cigar industry a racket because if I want to try a awesome, which I'm smoking right now, the Protocol Nightstick collaboration with Dojo, I've got to buy a 10-pack just to try it. I may hate this cigar. I don't, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I may hate the cigar, but I already bought 10 of them, so now I've got nine that, 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 right. I, uh, that I don't know what to do with. So it's kind of the same thing as a sampling opportunity. A, a beer consumer, you know, thinking about buying a six-pack or a 12-pack, feels a little more comfortable, it's a little more accessible and entry level, they can just buy a 22 ounce bottle and they can, they can sip on that and if they don't really like it, it's fine, that was the only one you had. 
and so because of those benefits, every brewery came running to the 22-ounce segment and trying to put their beer in that package, trying to get sampling opportunities, having a higher margin opportunity as a business, trying to make some money. Um, and, and it became well, well beyond any reasonable level of, of distribution to where it was a heavily saturated package. In San Francisco, there's places that have five to seven cooler doors of nothing but bombers. And, and so what we ended up with is a bunch of light, low ABV, blondes and whip beers in 22 ounce packages that people were like, you know what, I'd rather just grab a six pack of this. This is a volume beer. 22 doesn't make much sense. And so where you identify that that's a dying package, and a lot of people do, the whole industry is uh, freaking out, running away from this package. I think 22s really will be here to stay. Mm -hmm. I think they have a place in the industry, but it's more stylistically uh, driven. So if I'm going to buy a triple IPA, I don't need a six pack of that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get right. myself into trouble and be drunk all the time. So, <laughs> so, uh, or, or to your point, if you're sharing with friends, you know, for the holidays, we see 750 milliliter bottles. The, the, the sales skyrocket because people are going to their Thanksgiving parties and their Christmas parties, and they want to show up with something in their hand, and it became a lot more sophisticated and cool to bring a craft beer than, than a mm. bottle of wine like in, in the old days. And so there's still definitely a place for the 22 ounce bottle, the 750 bottle, and, uh, but, but it's gonna be more stylistically uh, driven. Where those Blondales, if you like that Blondale, if you, know, you guys have Upslope, I know they have a great blonde, Ska has a great blonde. If you wanna just like pound beers all night, like Jack or I would be doing if he was here, uh, you, you, you know, you'd grab a full case of, of, of cans and, and be drinking those one at a time. You don't need some highfalutin fancy pants bottle. It, it seems like, <laughs> maybe this maybe is just me, but it seems like back in the day, a lot of these breweries would have super high-end stuff and a bomber, and then like, okay, so Firestone, super high-end stuff and a bomber, sure. and then I don't like any of their baseline stuff at all. But nowadays I see like, the cool thing is like a four pack of cans of, and they're it's like right in the middle. Sure. So like Weldworks will be like, yeah. you get like a $15 four pack and it's really good. But it's, it's right in between the bomber and the eh, like the low end Firestone sure. that I wouldn't even buy. Well, well, there you go. That That's a perfect example of because it's in a 16 ounce four pack, you're going to drink each one of those to yourself. It's not so big that you feel like maybe you should share it with somebody you can actually drink that by yourself it also just goes along with the trend of cans in general and so uh yeah bombers are we're gonna see bombers go away in a major way but i i, I think there there's some styles of beer that have long-term play that those will continue to resonate and be and to be honest if i came over here if you guys invited me over for christmas dinner and, and i'm available if you want to <laughs> uh, you know I, i'm gonna feel a lot better bringing a big nice bottle with you know with a big label that's gonna seem like a, a little bit more elegant sophisticated package than if i show up with a couple cans where, where it's like oh great craft beer no big deal where it's like more of a present if you have this like right. single larger package so that's in if we can compare that to the cigar industry, mm. if you get, you know, you want to show up with maybe some, like, you know, individual coffin cigars or Ooh. whatever, something cool to to bring to a party. Or maybe or something gold foil wrapped. Gold foil <laughs> Yeah, wraps. yeah, maybe a signature uh, series of some yeah, sort. I don't who know. Who knows, Terrence? <laughs> <laughs> so, no, so, Randy, I want to thank you so much for taking It's a Thursday night. We don't normally do a show on Thursday night. 
So you were nice enough to pop in after doing your conference speaking, and the, the engagement went well, I assume. Very well, yes, sir. What, what would you say, Chad? Did he do all right? Excellent. He did excellent. <laughs> Chad says he did excellent speaking to, you know, uh, Craft Brewers Association or whatever it's mm -hmm. called. Is that what it's called? Whatever. <laughs> whatever it's called. No, that's amazing, yeah, though. Yeah. No, taking the time on a Thursday night. And so you, you're taking off tomorrow. You're heading back. That's right. You're heading back to... Uh, California. California, you're in the, what region are you in? You're in I'm in Northern California. You're not too far from Robbie. Me and Rob, me and Robbie Raz, yeah. about 15 miles from each other and hook up for herfs with, with some of the other boys there locally. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited about his addition to, to the dojo, to yeah. be honest with you, because he, he also works for a brewery there in San Francisco. Right. The and, Laughing Monk. The Laughing Monk Brewery. That's right. And so I think yeah. he's going to bring a lot more of this kind of uh, beer culture and right. to, to, to your guys' show. And, and, and honestly, the community behind craft beer and cigars is, is, is so similar in, in the camaraderie and the brotherhood and the welcoming. And, uh, you know, thank you so much to you guys, man, for having me on tonight. I really appreciate it. I'm a big fan of the show. And it's a total honor to be here sitting with, uh, behind the camera, in front of the camera with you. That's amazing. Hey, guys, so uh, I hope you enjoyed the show tonight. Uh, it was all craft beer. Tomorrow night, it's all whiskey based and uh, when i say whiskey i'm speaking specifically about bourbon as you know <laughs> i'm a bourbon nut so we will have christopher hart who is the uh host of whiskey neat podcast which is a really great podcast check him out on facebook and we'll have him on the show tomorrow night and we and by the way tomorrow night is whiskey night on the dojo so if you use hashtag whiskey a dojo all night long who knows you might win some you might win Ooh. stuff you might win Sexy. stuff. Just, just <laughs> use that hashtag. Share the the whiskey and bourbon that you're that you're drinking, and that'll be a good time tomorrow night. Randy, thank you so much, brother. Cheers, bro. I'm glad that you had a good time in Camp Camacho. Man, thank you. That was amazing time. We got to send him down there. Maybe next year we'll do a, a full dojo trip. We'll see how that goes. Right. Shout out to Lynn, George, and Barb. Yeah. We appreciate you. Hey, you have any other Bad shout outs? Right. You have other shout outs? No, no. Uh, I thought there was gonna be a lot. I <laughs> you said there was gonna be like a lot of shout outs, like. Kevin Acuff, we know that. Kevin Acuff, my favorite person to travel with. You're, you guys are going to see me and Kevin on the Kevin and Randy Road Show. Yes. Going all over the planet to find great tobacco. There we Tell go. All right. So uh, until tomorrow night, remember, never, never smoke, smoke alone. alone. All right. We'll see you guys tomorrow night. Hey, my friends. Hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you check out all the amazing features we offer at JRCigars.com. Join our JR Plus and get free shipping and exclusive offers for an entire year at one great price. Subscribe to our Cigar of the Month Club and we'll send you five premium cigars each month, plus a sixth one if you're a JR Plus member. Lastly, download our Beat the Dealer app or play the brand new desktop version featuring a brand new slot game. You can win cigars and other great prizes while also taking advantage of exclusive daily deals. Experience all this and more at JR Cigar the world's largest cigar store, just a click away.